You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and thanks for joining me, Sharon Noonan, on tonight's Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. I have a great lineup of guests this evening talking about all sorts of things from Chinese food to food photography and what's in the latest issue of Easy Food magazine, which is out today. If you have something that you'd like to share with us here on the show, it could be your favourite recipe or a fantastic food find, anything food or drink related at all, please do get in touch. You can email me, s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org which is short for Queen of Organisation So coming up on the show tonight resident restaurant reviewer Rachel Keeley tells us all about the Chinese restaurant the Jasmine Palace in Limerick City Anna Nolan, presenter of TV3's The Great Irish Bake Off will be on the phone telling us how you can apply this year Anne Maher and Brandon O'Brien from the Weston A. Price Foundation give us a heads up on the conference taking place this weekend in Toman Park. Guest editor of February's Easy Food magazine, Simon Lamont, a.k.a. The Lazy Chef, will preview the latest issue. And Caroline Kenyon has details about the Pink Lady Food Photographer of the Year competition. But first, let's welcome resident reviewer Rachel Keeley and find out about her latest dining spot, which is a celebrated Chinese restaurant in Limerick, and her timing couldn't be more perfect, given that Chinese New Year is just around the corner. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Good evening, Rachel. Hi, Sharon. How are you? Thanks for having me here. And with it being February, the 19th of February, it's actually Chinese New Year. So we're going to look at a Chinese restaurant and one that I'm sure is very well known to everybody, the Jasmine Palace. Almost the Chinese restaurant, really, Limerick, I suppose. Um, It is synonymous with Chinese food for most Limerick people. Uh, Yes, the Jasmine Palace, they've just launched a new menu to go along with their new interior. So I was uh, lucky enough to be able to go and sample that new menu not so long ago. And I was lucky enough to be there yes. with you that night. It was a fairly extensive menu. It was, it was. We were slow moving down the stairs after that evening, I can tell you. But um, a lovely menu. It was really nice to get to taste lots of different dishes in the same evening. And of course, I think a Chinese is perfect for a banquet style dining whenever there's 10 of you, that you can sit at one of these lovely round tables with the lazy Susan in the middle to whip everything around. And that's exactly what happened that night. So tell us about the first of many dishes that we had. The first of many, indeed. Um, they kind of started off probably in a quite a theatrical way, which is a good idea. They introduced the peppercorn lobster, which is, I believe, a new dish on their menu. Um, and it looks fantastic. You know, it's proper big pink uh, lobster doused in, in, I think, presumably Szechuan spices. Uh, and then you all have to work your way into it. And it takes a little bit of work, but it's worth it to get into that meat inside. Yeah, it was absolutely mm. delicious. And there was lots of ooing and ahhing and sucking and licking and, yes, and everything going on. Things. A couple of people dying for me. So it, lobster is something now that I think people would perceive as being very expensive. Like it's a real treat to have lobster. So if you can have it as part of a banquet package, it's probably a great one to go for. It it is. I mean, it lends a little bit of luxury and a little bit of... um, an extra sort of special angle to, to a nice evening out. I mean, the, the Jasmine are really focused at the moment on private dining and, as you say, social dining, having groups of people in because it's, it works so well for bigger groups. They've got a sectioned off area if you want to dine in private. And they, of course, have those famous round tables with the Lazy Susans, as you say. So bringing out something like lobster would be a fantastic way to, to kick off a celebration dinner, for example. And then did we have meat next? We did. We had uh, meat sung, which is essentially sort of oh, yeah, big, big yeah. piles of meat, really, I suppose. Um, it was very light, though, actually. I didn't find it particularly filling, uh, unlike everything else, I suppose, on the menu. It was nice. It was, I, it's kind of a dish you have to be careful with. It has potential to be very, very heavy, but if it's done right, it's nice and flavoursome and light. Yeah, I enjoy it, mm. I have to say. And something that I never would have ordered, only my husband ordered it one night. So again, that whole banquet setting is a great way to introduce you to new dishes and new flavours that you might be too afraid to try or order yourself. Oh, without a doubt. You know, there are quite a few people there that night who don't normally eat seafood, but they found that, you know, eating them in conjunction with these vibrant uh, Chinese flavours, you know, really opened them up to, to very new ingredients and new dishes, which is great. And speaking of seafood, there was sea bass. There was, which I suppose is a very, very accessible fish for somebody who's only starting out into into eating uh, seafood because it's 
um, it's a very light fish. It's it, it kind of lends itself very well to the strong flavours around it. In this case, it was served with ginger and spring onions, so that lent it a lovely, a lovely zing, you know, to this kind of subtle fish. Mm. And then after that was the soup. The soup, yeah, the soup was actually my favourite. Uh, I found it incredibly warming and comforting. I know it was quite a, a wet evening that we were there. It was almost um, almost like a Chinese chicken soup or a miso soup or something like that. It had that kind of comforting uh, feel to it. It was served with pork dumplings as well, so they were a nice addition of a very different texture within the within the soup. They kind of give a soup a bit of a, an oomph. It makes it a bit more substantial. Exactly, kind and, of anchors it, yeah. And especially when you're not having bread because you're not getting bread in the Chinese no it's no harm we had enough I think yeah. <laughs> yeah and then I think we were back to meat again the steak came next it did and, and it was as usual with the jasmine incredibly generous uh, I know the plate came piled high with a uh, quality steak I have a bit of a a bit of a bugbear about steak in a lot of uh, Chinese um, restaurants I find that sometimes it isn't uh, as nice as I'd expect if I got a whole steak sometimes when it's been sort of stir fried it loses a bit of its flavour and a bit of its um, texture but that wasn't the case at all here it was proper fillet steak sauté very gently so it retained all its flavour and all its juices which were fabulous and then the addition of almonds um, really really added an extra nutty flavour of course and something a little bit different I know I hadn't tasted it before I loved the sauce with that very rich if I remember correctly it was a delicious sauce and Mm. of course we were getting rice if you wanted fried rice or boiled rice or noodles that was all available as well so that sauce just went perfect with my fried rice I had to go the whole hog of course and have the fried rice you're dead right you know I often think people are ordering boiled rice it's like having your diet coke with your takeaway so I think you're dead right (laughs) so that was the soup and then the steak and then chicken was chicken next was there chicken with cashew nuts in a, a noodle basket Yes, the noodle basket actually I thought was really, really interesting. So was, again, it adds a nice little bit of theatre to the meal, you know, when you're finished eating your dish and you can break into your dish and start eating that as well. Also, the, the, the crisp texture of the noodles was lovely. It was a very nice counterfoil to the more um, sauce-based chicken and cashew nut, you know. So I thought it was, um, again, quite a light dish. I didn't think it, it didn't taste as heavy as it, as it looked, you know, and the nice addition of crispy vegetables were nice too. At this stage, I was thinking, gosh, there cannot be many more courses to come but I was wrong it kept on coming yes absolutely um, I think we we finished I think the next one we had was Cantonese roast duck with plum sauce which would be a favourite on most Chinese restaurant menus for a lot of people uh, and it was as decadent and indulgent and rich as you would imagine absolutely fabulous dish and after that then um, I think we were winding up, but we yet we had another seafood dish. We had jumbo prawns, uh, which are normally my favourite dish on um, on the Jasmine Palace menu. So I was delighted to see them to see them appear in this this particular new menu. They're proper prawns, which is nice. I hate going into restaurants and finding these underfed little blighters. So it was really nice to to have big meaty prawns, and then served of course with the with their famous EXO chili sauce. They were it was a, it was a man sized dish, but for me it was perfect. So the soup along with the prawns were those your two favourite dishes I think so actually yes um, I mean I'd be fairly familiar with the other ones but this, these I thought lend, lend a certain sort of freshness to, to the to a menu I thought they were very elegant dishes uh, and I'd like to see more of them again I will be back for more and we had glasses of wine of course as well didn't we, we did, uh, not many Sharon sure. <laughs> I was driving I didn't have so many but we had lovely Prosecco and Arrival yes and then so you had lots of red or white wine um, I had white because I had to work the next day but luckily for me no we only had to toddle up the road we didn't have to drive anywhere um, actually that's that's I think something that Jasmine have done really well they've they're famous and they always have been for that kind of extra bar area where people go, would go in and, and meet everybody and see lots of familiar faces in Limerick and wait for their table so now they sort of section that off a little bit and they have a few little seats where you can enjoy a drink or a cocktail there in, in and of itself you don't even necessarily have to be dining um, so again it's opened up the area to to other visitors looking for different things I think it's a very social way to to have a restaurant 
So people that maybe haven't been there in a long time are in for a real treat if they take a spin in now. They are. It's changed quite a bit. Um, the only way I could describe it on the night was it, it was very London. Um, it's become very sort of glossy. There are lots of polished surfaces, uh, monochrome colours, sharp lines. It feels feels glamorous, um, grown up, really sexy, to be honest, you know, which is nice. It's it's great kind of to have that place to, to, come, to go to now on a nice, glamorous night out, you know. And to finish the meal off, we had the typical Chinese dessert. Yes, an exotic fruit plate, which was actually exactly what we needed. It was, yeah. We needed a bit of freshness to cut through all the food. Um, and it was lovely. It was very nice to sort of taste different things. I wouldn't even begin to try and pronounce some of them. Um, but it was a perfect way to round off uh, a very, very filling, obviously, dinner. I often think we kind of over-egg the omelette a little bit and, and our Irish menus by forcing you, not forcing you, but offering you this extra thick and heavy dessert, having eaten another two big courses. So it was nice to kind of finish off with something a bit lighter. Well, it was a fabulous night. So we must say thanks very much to Val O'Connor, who organised it, and of course, chef owner Paul. And you'll be putting details up on your blog? I will indeed, yeah. Everything about the night and indeed the jasmine will be up on my blog, www.rmkeely.com, or you can catch it on Twitter at, at rmkeely. Rachel, thanks a million for coming in this evening and nice to reminisce about it. It was indeed. And we'll talk to you again next month. Thanks so much, Sharon. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Thanks to Rachel for her latest review and you can find details as she said along with lots of other reviews by Rachel on her blog which is rmkeely.com If you have the perfect restaurant that you'd like Rachel to visit and review for the show please do drop me an email s.noonan at live.ie and I'll pass the details on to Rachel Still to come tonight Anne Maher and Brendan O'Brien from the Weston A. Price Foundation give us a heads up on the conference taking place this weekend in Toman Park Guest editor of February's Easy Food magazine, Simon Lamont, a.k.a. The Lazy Chef, will preview the latest issue. And Caroline Kenyon has details about the Pink Lady Food Photographer of the Year competition. Next, though, it's over to the phone to talk to Anna Nolan, presenter of TV3's Great Irish Bake Off, about the upcoming 2015 show. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Anna, good to talk to you this evening about the Great Irish Bake Off. Yes, thanks for having me on, Sharon. And they're looking for people to take part in 2015, I believe. They are indeed. The call-out has happened and um, we're looking for all those fabulous, talented bakers around the country, young and old, male and female, to go to the TV3 website and fill in their application forms. So I'm very excited well, the for you three. The first year that you did it, were you absolutely astounded at the talent that's out there? I was, actually. Uh, we were a little worried because, you know, it had been on the BBC for a few years and we didn't know what the, um, what the standards was going to be like. And it was incredible. And everybody who made it, there's a, there's a different, stage to, uh, different stages to the process. Um, a, a number of people I called in to bake in front of the judges. Um, that's kind of before the show starts. And it was a really, really tough decision at that stage for Biddy and Paul to choose who was even going onto the show. So, of course, when I rocked up, there were they were just creme de la creme, I suppose. Um, and I loved, I, I just, I, I loved everything they did. I thought they were all so talented. Do you get a few people at the start that turn up with their Rice Krispie buns? No, they. they they're eliminated uh, well before they're, then. They're eliminated. Yeah. <laughs> Um, because I suppose they have to send... Now, they could be fibbing, but they have to, in the application form, you have to send um, uh, photos of, of your own bakes. Now, you could be copying and pasting from somebody else, but I don't think people would do that. So Paul and Biddy and the producers would get a sense early on of, of who can bake and who is like me and can do butterfly cakes and Rice Krispie cakes, and that's it. Which are very delicious in their own I right. I know. I know they are. I, I'm a big fan. Not a fan of the cornflake crispy. Don't know what it's called, the corn crispy. But um, yeah, I'm the rice crispy cake girl rather than the other one. So whenever you're filming then and all this begging is going on, who gets to enjoy the fruits of the competitor's labour? We all do. Well, first of all, it's Paul and Biddy. And then I join in sometimes. And then when we finish um, filming and the director says cut... The production 
people and the camera people come with their forks that they've had in their back pockets or attached to their cameras. There was actually one guy, um, Tim, who was in charge of the jib, which is a big, long camera, and somebody took a photo of the fork that was attached to the side of his camera. So um, they had to be quick and everyone would just pounce on top. Yeah, a bit of a stampede, I'd say. It would be. Oh, yeah, it would be. It would be great. On, On year two last year, another cameraman made a decision because he had put on so much weight from year one that he said he wasn't going to eat anything and he cracked within three days and he was there chomping into stuff. Over how many days is a series filmed? It's a day and a half. Oh, sorry. Sorry. An episode. So one hour is a day and a half filming. Um, And so it's four weeks. It's four weeks that people have to commit to the show. They're not there for the whole week. They can go home. They will go home for a couple of days and prep for the following week. But it is somebody who, for the month, it's, it's probably the month of May and possibly a bit of June, but I'd say May. They, everybody, you know, it's, it's, it's baking central for those eight people. So you have to completely commit to it. Yes, you do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, what was the highlight for you for 2014? I was only thinking, because I, I was trying to remember um, Limerick people who've been on uh, the Bake Off. And of course, first year was William de Court and he came runner-up. And then second year was uh, Hazel. Um, and the low light, I suppose, was her becoming ill in the tent. And we had to call the um, ambulance people and just the stress of it I'm giggling because that sounds terrible the stress of baking but the stress of it just got so bad I know she'd been up late the night before prepping and doing her research and so that was a low light the highlight the final is always the highlight we had a a terrific baker in Tracy from Killarney and Kerry and um, she it was between her and Shane and Ali and she just really kind of did a magnificent bake um she's she's so so talented so the highlight i suppose was tracy getting the crown you said there about whenever somebody takes ill it's not really funny of course it's not funny but but you do seem to have a good balance between the show being good fun but being very serious it's very serious because bakers take their cakes and buns really seriously and a huge amount of work goes into it. So um, what I learned from year one is that um, bakers like to show off. They have put, a, you know, as I say, a lot of thought into what they're doing and they are perfectionists. So um, if anything starts to go wrong for them, and it's normally in the last, you know, last 10 minutes when they're plating up, you can see the beads of sweat, you can see the shaking hands, you can see the devastation if something hasn't risen or something is crumbling when it shouldn't be crumbling. Um, so we take that all very seriously. And when you're in the tent for those last 10 minutes, you could just hear a pin drop. No, one, no one's giggling because most of the time there's a, you know, there's a relaxed sense and people are chatting and giggling and laughing. But those last 10 minutes, it's, it's really, really intense. If anybody out there is thinking about applying this year, what advice would you give to them? I would say don't think twice about it. Just apply. Just don't talk yourself out of it. The other thing I would say is if you know somebody else who's an excellent baker, get them. If they're a little bit shy or they're feeling that they, they'd be a little bit scared or, or, you know, the Irish, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't go on television and do that persuade them to come along because we know there's amazing talent out there so just be brave and just fill in the application form and um, as a sports brand says just do it and as you said the deadline is this Sunday the 8th of February at midnight and if they want to apply they go on to the TV3 website that's right so if you go to tv3.ie then forward slash take part so that's tv3.ie forward slash take part and you know what you might be lucky and you might be joining me and Paul and Biddy White Lennon and you'll have the best time ever it's the most enjoyable experience and just eat properly during it and don't faint (laughs) don't stay up too late with your preparation and eat properly yes (laughs) all right well that's sound advice there Anna thanks so much for talking to me this evening and hopefully we'll see a few more Limerick people in this year I hope so thank you so much Sharon 
You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to tonight's programme. If you've just joined us, we heard earlier from restaurant reviewer Rachel Keeley. Just before the break, Anna Nolan was explaining how you can apply for the 2015 Great Irish Bake Off that will be on our screens on TV3 later in the year. Never fear if you've missed any of the show tonight because it will be up on the Best Possible Taste podcast later in the week along with all the previous 2014 shows. You'll find the podcast on SoundCloud. Dot com. Just look for Food and Drink Show. Still to come tonight, guest editor of February's Easy Food magazine, Simon Lamont, a.k.a. The Lazy Chef, will preview the latest issue for us. And Caroline Kenyon has details about the Pink Lady Food Photographer of the Year competition. Next, though, I'm delighted to introduce my next guests who join me in the studio. Anne Maher and Brandon O'Brien are here, and along with Caroline Rigney and Deirdre McMahon, they're the organising committee for the Wise Traditions Ireland Conference that is taking place this weekend in Limerick. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Anne and Brendan, you're both very welcome to the studio this evening. Thanks for coming in. I think the first question I have to ask is, who was Weston A. Price? Weston A. Price was a dentist who lived and operated from Cleveland, Ohio in the 1930s. And he's very famous because he took it upon himself to take a trip around the world, basically visiting indigenous populations and looking at what they ate as part of their traditional diets. And he was motivated to do so because as a dentist in Cleveland, he was working with lots of clients who had poor dental health. But he obviously had friends who worked with National Geographic and they spoke about all these indigenous populations that had beautiful teeth. So it prompted him to go and find out from his travels, was it true about these indigenous populations? Did they have wonderful teeth? And basically, what were they eating? Um, His work then was put together into a book uh, called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration and outlined kind of the basic guidelines. He came up with uh, what were the common denominators of these indigenous populations of what they were doing to ensure good health for their dental structure, but obviously how that reflected in their whole body health as well and the tribal health. But it was some years after his death, Brandon, that the foundation was set up in 1999. Oh yeah, it was a long time after, yeah. The, the, uh, I think there was a repository of his research being held by the Price Pottinger Foundation. And Sally Fallon then decided she'd take that information and become more kind of activist with it. And she, says she set up the Western A. Price Foundation. And she's basically towed the line of it since. I think there's nearly 20,000 members around the world now. Mm-hmm. And this weekend, there is a conference in Tomond Park and Sally is actually coming over. She's one of the speakers. She's the, she's the keynote speaker for it, yeah. It's the first time the Western Price Organisation, the Western Price Foundation have had a conference in Ireland. So it's kind of great that we've got it for Limerick. And uh, yeah, she's coming over along with Natasha Campbell-McBride, who's um, talking about the GAPS diet on the second day of the conference. But our, our, our big name would be Sally herself. We're delighted to have her over. Mm. Well, let's talk specifically about the programme. It's a two-day programme. It's on in Tomond Park this Saturday and Sunday. You've mentioned a couple of speakers there, but do you want to just go through the programme briefly there for me, Anne? Yes, um, it's a fantastic lineup. We decided it because it's the first uh, Western A Price conference is to actually kind of bring in sort of Irish speakers uh, related to the same concepts. And the conference is really about, it's called the Wise Traditions Ireland Conference. So we're looking at encouraging people to go back to traditional techniques of making food in order to improve the nutritional value for the body. So the speakers we've got includes... Um, Dr. John McKenna, he's a retired doctor in Ireland. He's written a few well-known books, including Good Food. Um, He's also written a book recently called Antibiotics, Are They Curing Us or Killing Us? He's written one a few years ago called Heart to Stomach. So he would be very strong on a lot of the principles of Weston Price about the idea of uh, following the guidelines echoed in his work. And uh, we also have Joe Fitzmaurice, who is a, he bakes um, in the Clock Jordan um, sourdough bread that's fairly well known around the Limerick area. So he uses traditional fermentation techniques. Again, the, the real bread as such that's uh, becoming very topical now. And we also have Elizabeth Ryan. She would have been the f- 
founder of what's known as the the raw milk campaign. So encouraging people to go back towards raw milk and allowing it to be um, accessible to the Irish population. And uh, so we have her. And we also have, of course, Darina Allen, who would be a huge champion of the local and traditional food as well. So we uh, also have David Wetzel. He would be coming from America. He is the founder of an organization called Green Pasture, and they make fermented cod liver oil. And again, cod liver oil would be the original superfood and would be an incredibly important food to include in the diet and one that was highly recommended through Western Price's research. So uh, it's an incredible lineup and we're very lucky, I have to say, and we're delighted to have Sally over. You know, um, herself and Dr. Natasha are very, they're incredible speakers and wonderful to actually attend. We've I've been to a few of the conferences in England and I was so overwhelmed by the information I got over there. I said, we really had to get this stuff over to Ireland. So we've worked really hard to get them over here. But I have to say the goodwill of people and the interest is is incredible. We have a lot of people flying in from abroad even because they know the value of this work. And like, like Sally Fallon speaks at various conferences around America and in other countries around the world. But um, this is the first time, as we say, we've had it in Ireland. But for sure, it's not going to be the last. You said about being overwhelmed whenever you've been to the conference in England. Just explain to people listening, why should they go to it? What are they going to learn as a result of being there at the weekend? One of the things that I learned, and even though I've been trained in nutrition as a nutritionist, what opened my eyes was that we actually have been eating lots of food since we've been born, but we're actually happen to be nourishing ourselves actively and the thing that really struck me was that in order to nourish yourself you actually have to make an effort and the type of foods that we eat they're packaged beautifully and they're advertised beautifully but actually the inherent nourishment value is very poor in them and understanding the works that other tribes have done in order to make food more nourishing it just made me realize that we've been I suppose uh fooled into believing that we are actually nourishing ourselves and the the evidence is all around us in terms of ill health and uh, I suppose I was motivated by having a sick child and I noticed there's a whole swell of movement of other parents like myself who start waking up to the reality when it comes to your own door and but this groundswell of parents and health uh, care workers, etc., nutritionists and nutritional therapists, and everyone on the same wavelength. Um, one of the things that really, really impressed me, I had been to plenty of nutrition conferences as a new, as a public health nutritionist, and I was, you know, the big pharmaceutical companies and with dietitians and that, and like big corporate events, and they're quite intimidating. You know, they would have plenty of good speakers, etc. But this was very much. A different scenario. This was like everyone was on the same level, and everyone was really motivated just to maintain wellness. Just and but the power was actually with yourself. It wasn't a magic drug. It wasn't a magic um, a magic food as such. There was a collection of you getting very good food for yourself. So if, for example, you're talking about uh, milk, for example, with the raw milk, as I said, rather than having it like a slimline milk, you're going back, say, to a raw milk coming from a cow that is reared on good pasture and is not stressed as an animal or intensively milked. So it makes complete sense that that food is going to be far more nourishing than an animal that is intensively reared and, you know, milked three and four times a day. And the quality of the food is not going to be the same. So is one of the arguments here that a modern diet minimises nutrients, Brandon? Yeah, well, um, it was very fortuitous. If you go back to Weston Price when he did his research, he happened to be able to do it at a time when there was a transition in trade and stuff at the time. So a lot of the indigenous cultures that he was checking out, some of them had come in contact with modern foods like flour and sugar and stuff like that. And a lot of people tend to like it. And this is one of the arguments. It's, it's convenient food. And uh, so what he found was the people who had left their traditional diets <clears throat> and adopted the modern foods ended up with dental caries and problems and offspring, their offspring had problems. So he was able to kind of see it happening almost in real time, if you like. Um, whereas now we've gone past that time and we're in an era of 
readily available convenient food and ironically one of the criticisms of the Western Price message is that it takes a lot of time to produce your food but that's one of the answers and one of the solutions so it's kind of like yes it takes time um, there's kind of a couple of elements to it one is that there's a, there's an emphasis on nutrient dense foods like organ meats and raw milk and raw cheese and stuff like that and on the other hand it's you know you have to minimize the, uh, the sugar and the flour now we kind of know that side of it but we don't really do it and one of the things about this, this conference is going to show people uh, not only why, we kind of know why, even though we forget, but how to go about doing the preparing the traditional foods, why you should spend a bit more time at it and emphasizing the organ meats and nutrient-dense foods. That's, that's the package of it. So it's not just eat this. It's like this is why it's good for you and this is where it works. And people kind of, I've seen it myself. I went to London for the first London conference and came away I mean I, I was aware of the message at the time but I met people over there who had seen it for the first time and they were kind of blown away by it so when Anne was saying she was overwhelmed by the message it's more like God I, some people I knew that all along but I just kind of never had anyone tell me sense. and it makes sense mm. But it can be very confusing for people as well the whole saturated fats debate and how saturated <coughs> fats are not good for you and now they're saying well actually saturated fats they're not bad for you mm. I, th- I, think, I think my argument is always it actually comes down to reporting it's like the truth never changes, but the reporting of it seems to confuse people. But if you can kind of get past the reporting and see where it all came from originally, it makes sense. The stuff's good for you because we've been eating it for thousands of years and we were healthy when we do. It's when we stop eating it that we sort of get unhealthy. So it's pretty obvious in a way. Yes, it's a controversy, but it's kind of a made up controversy in one sense. So is one of the objectives for the conference this weekend to help people make informed decisions about what they're putting into their bodies? Absolutely. Absolutely. And actually, um, and to realise it's not as hard as they think. It's not as confusing as they think. And actually, the power is with themselves. But one of the things that's very, I think, impressive, too, with the Weston Price Foundation, because I suppose it's gathered momentum in the States, and there are a lot of families who are carrying this out for a few years, and they're having their own children now who are beautifully healthy. And we expect, and we often see that often small children, they're they're born healthy but then they start exhibiting problems like eczema asthma and various like there may be cranky babies colic whatever and it's it's not uncommon shall we say and people expect well this is my lot but through the western price foundation like parents keep writing back and saying thank you so much that i found this out and i changed my diet and that the, their babies are beautifully healthy beautiful temperament sleep well grow well you know and no sickness or anything so I think it is possible and we we basically owe it to ourselves uh, very keen to make people know about it like they can choose we're not necessarily forcing people to go down this path but you know the information is there and for a lot of people they've they've often run out of options the other ways because the other diets don't necessarily work and there's plenty plenty of evidence to show that this is actually I would say in, in terms of empowering people with the information what I find is uh, you end up okay. There's a little bit more work in the work in the in the preparation, all that, but you end up with an awful lot less stress in life, and that's really for me a huge thing. You know, people just less stressed because of their life, because people are stressed and you know under the cover, under the hood. Well, it's seventy euros for the day, or if you're going to go on both days, it's one hundred and seventeen euros, and that includes lunch, which follows the Western A Price Foundation principles. So, what can people expect to eat? over the weekend very delicious food that will taste really really good it's as simple as that we have a, a menu developed with the master chef caterers from Thomond Park and I have to commend Thomond Park I think they've been working really really positively with us Brilliant. and uh, we're very impressed so we're, we're expecting great things down there <laughs> and uh, stews cooked uh, homemade uh, stock we will have a variety of fermented foods as well to increase your probiotic content of your diet the sourdough breads from joe etc people will get the opportunity to taste raw milk people will get the impre- the opportunity to um, taste a sample of different things obviously it's the first conference we have to pitch it at a level where this is there's so many options that we could go for but um, we're very proud of what we've achieved so far. I'm very exciting, excited with the energy attached to this and the, the levels of people who are interested in coming to the conference. And it's the first time that the MasterChef caterers have catered for an event like this. For them as well, it's they're very interested and excited with it. You know, as we've emphasized, this is the type of food that can actually heal you. It's not just for filling you, but it actually is delicious, delicious food. It's actually, yeah. it's kind of the type of food that a lot of good chefs 
like because they don't use any artificial flavoring so it comes down to real skill in the kitchen to make mm. real food taste really good yeah, for the general public so the master chef guys were delighted because it was like yes we can show off here mm. and they will and they've um, you know we've encouraged them to go for local suppliers as well and you know to get to know where their suppliers are, are coming from etc so it's on this Saturday and Sunday in Tomond Park and all the details are on your website which is wapfmunster.com good luck with it all and thanks so much for coming in this evening you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break, you heard Anne Maher and Brandon O'Brien talking about the WAPF Wise Traditions Ireland Conference that is on this weekend in Tomond Park in Limerick. Just to remind you of the website address, which is wapfmonster.com, and you'll get all the info there. Now, my next guest, Simon Lamont, appeared on the show last year to talk about his show, The Lazy Chef, that was on TV3. This has led to other things, and for February, he is the guest editor of Easy Food magazine, and he's on the line now to tell us more. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Simon, guest editor of the February issue of Easy Food magazine. How did that all come about? Well, that was a phone call and I I accepted it. And I was, I tell you, I, I've never done anything like this before in my life. A little bit ampre- apprehensive. I've never done any print. Jumped into it uh, headlong and I've had the absolute blast with it loved it every moment of it easy food of being a great team to work with okay so tell us what is the theme of the latest issue there's a, a valentine's vibe going on which is it's all well and good but also most importantly it's the hundredth issue of easy food magazine and it's been you know a great honor to, to be part of that uh, century centenary and because it's February, then we've Pancake Tuesday. Absolutely, and uh, we've we've got a ton of recipes for pancakes, and we sort of span the globe with different recipes from Malaysia to China to Canada, and you know our our classic Irish pancakes here as well. So loads of pancake recipes from all over the world. Uh, Valentine's dishes, you know, heavy on the uh, steak and red wine, just to get the juices flowing. And um, ah, and your your usual plethora of great recipes that you'd expect from Easy Food. And what are your favourite recipes in this edition? There's some really great recipes here. There's one in there, uh, chickpea linguine, so two of my favourite things in the world. And also there's a caramelised onion beef pie, which is heavy on the caramelised onions. And uh, it's actually making my mouth water as we speak. Um, and I was lucky enough to jump in and and give some lazy, lazy chef-style recipes myself, um, one of which is uh, Ras El Hanout eggs with smashed avocado, roasted chickpeas on grilled flatbreads. So there's uh, tons of, of great scope here. There's something for everyone, as, as always, but um, then there's also great little standard tips like, you know, getting the best out of your, you know, slow-cooked meat, um, perfecting the perfect fried rice, and what to do with, root veg the beginner's guide the 101 if you like of root veg and chinese new year i would imagine is maybe in there as well there is yes we've got um you know homemade chinese food we've got a whole column there a whole section there got great recipes to perfect the duck in plum sauce at home and nail that veggie chairman that you love ordering from the chinese but may not have had the confidence before to uh to, to perfect at home but we've got great um tasty very approachable Chinese food in the home so you can do away with your takeaway menu and get stuck in the kitchen get your walk at the ready one of the subjects that's usually covered every month is dishes especially for children will we see anything in that regard in this edition absolutely and one of my favorite recipes that we've included is mixed berry porridge um porridge just keeps on re-evolving and reinventing itself so it's great to see that there's a recipe here for the kids to uh, get stuck in and help mum out with there's also you know um lots of sweet tasty treats and uh loads of cake ideas too and there's uh you know getting the kids involved in the kitchen is is such it's it's so important there's uh you know tons of lunchtime dishes as well 
So little, little mini burger, uh, little, mini turkey burgers. We've also got uh, Spanish-style scrambled egg tortillas. And, you know, kids are so eager, I find, uh, to get stuck in and invo- involved in the kitchen. So we've got, you know, great dishes for them here to try. Um, and it's for the tiny pots as well, as, as well as the sort of the young novices and the uh, young apprentices of the future. So there's a gr- great, great scope here. We've even got a mini cottage pie. Getting the, getting the future cooks in the kitchen, uh, cooking the staple dish that we all know and love. The last time we were talking, it was about the, the TV3 programme, The Lazy Chef. Have you any plans to, to do a bit more filming this year? I have a meeting coming up with the, the Nick Honchos and we are uh, positively talking about uh, season two. Uh, hopefully it'll be hitting our screens in the early autumn, late summer. And uh, big, tasty plans for the future are promised. And hopefully we'll be uh, discovering more food heroes from across our uh, beautiful, delicious country here in Ireland and um, getting back in my little yellow fish and uh, discovering more tasty treats. And you were talking there a lot about the kids. Have you any plans to do something with children? Funnily enough, I'm in discussions with a few products um, to be a brand ambassador. And one of the main things that comes out is, uh, do you work with kids? I said, absolutely, love working with kids and, you know, getting them involved. So I'm hope- hopefully we'll be uh, working very closely with a, a bunch of uh, little uh, scallywags and, and, and uh, trying new recipes on them and getting to see their initial reaction, which is so exciting, seeing kids' reactions on food, getting to p- participate in the kitchen and also when they have a taste of your, your recipes that they're trying out, um, see if it really is delicious or not. So um, that project's coming up in in March. From the mouth of babes, as I always say, uh, you know a dish is tasty when when the kids like it. It sounds like there could be a cookbook there. Plenty of material for a cookbook anyway. (laughs) There's plenty of scope indeed. I I used to be um, a rugby coach. Um, I used to coach an under-sevens rugby team back in the day. And um, I've got a very good working relationship with with young young people and... um, and they're just so honest and so eager to get involved. So um, hopefully we can use those skills and, um, yeah, get the kids of Ireland cooking. That's when I got hooked. That's when I was a kid. got hooked cooking in the kitchen. My mum asked me to put a few meals together and uh, it's been, uh, I mean, I've been stuck in the kitchen ever since. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Get them cooking early and uh, the future is going to be tasty. And the future could mean your own TV programme and guest editor of Easy Food magazine and a book in the pipeline. Absolutely. Uh, book, hopefully. Uh, I've got a, um, a writing week coming up next week. I'm down in Kerry. I'm going to both hold myself up down in uh, southwest Kerry, put some uh, chapters down, and hopefully we'll see some uh, pages on print, uh, hopefully next December. Um, and expect a tasty, a tasty notebook of, of travel stories with punctuated with delicious recipes for all the family. And in the meantime, people can pick up their copy of uh, Easy Food magazine for February. It's out on the shelves now and it costs €2.90. Simon, thanks for talking to me this evening. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Lovely to chat to Simon and be sure to pick up your copy of Easy Food magazine, which is on the shelves now. It's filled with lots of recipes which are accompanied with fabulous images, which brings me nicely on to my next guest. Caroline Kenyon started her career in the world of law, but left it for the media. This led her to establish one of Britain's leading PR and events companies specialising in food, and she has set up three unique sets of awards. One of these is the Pink Lady Food Photographer of the Year, and I'm delighted to have Caroline on the phone now to talk about the competition. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Caroline, thanks for joining me this evening. My pleasure. Tell me, what inspired you to create the Pink Lady Food Photographer of the Year? Well, I'll be absolutely honest with you. It was a light bulb moment in the middle of the night about four years ago, and it arose out of my experience running a food PR business based in England. And over the years, I'd commissioned a lot of food photography for my clients. And sometimes when the photographs came in, I'd think, oh, that is absolutely stunning. Why can't I put it in for an award? And I looked and I couldn't find anything. 
So in 2011, I literally woke up in the middle of the night and I thought, that's it. We're going to set up an international food photography competition. And we did. So the whole objective of it then is to recognise the art and diversity of food photography. Absolutely. But it's all sorts of food photography. It's not just the very beautiful photographs of food that you see in magazines or in cookery books. It's also people eating in their family homes. It's people celebrating with food. It's food being grown. It's food in the field. It's the politics of food. There's a category for absolutely everybody. And who can enter it? Well, what we wanted to do was to make it very democratic. So it's open to all, and it can be for professional photographers, amateurs, old and young. We even have an under 10 category. And I can tell you there's some really talented under 10 photographers out there. And whenever you say then about professional photographers can can enter it, are they still in the same category as non-professional photographers? They are indeed. And it's really interesting because in year one, the overall winner who won £5,000 was a professional. In year two, um, a lovely girl from Romania who was an amateur. And then last year it was professional. And then this year, who knows? Uh, do you know that information whenever you're looking at the photograph? No, because all the images are judged anonymously. We have absolutely no idea who took it um, or anything about them. And you have a very impressive judging panel. Tell us about the people sitting on it. Oh, we're very lucky with our judges, Sharon, I must say. It's really wonderful, the support that we get. Well, our, uh, a, a judge for this year is Michelle Rue Jr., which is fantastic, and lots of people will know him um, from television. Um, we also are very honoured that David Loftus, he's Jamie Oliver's photographer, has been a judge for three years now, and he's amazingly supportive. He's the most wonderful, talented photographer himself. And we have other people um, from India, Sanjeev Kapoor, who's the culinary superstar in India. We have somebody called George Motts from America. He's judging our film category because we actually have a category for two-minute films about food. So a huge range of judges. It's very exciting that these wonderful people uh, support our project. And do they all come together to look at the photographs or is it all done just through the, the wonder of technology that is email? Oh, well, email is wonderful. I agree with you. The first stage is done by email. And then when we have our category winners, we hold a judges dinner in London and we show the category winners around the walls of the room where the judges eat dinner. And then when dinner is finished those of us who are not judges leave the room and then there's a very lively debate chaired by Jay Rayner who's our chairman of judges and at the end of it they have an overall winner and everybody is sworn to secrecy until the night of the uh, winner's reception in May. And whenever the winners are announced then what prizes do they get because I'm sure you have some lovely goodies there well, for them. Well we do indeed we have some lovely support but the overall winner does win £5,000 which is a fantastic prize, and also huge amounts of coverage. The winner last year, Tessa Bunny, who's based in Laos, she um, won um, not only the money, but also her winning image, which is of a woman throwing noodles on this great um, spinning spool. I think that must have been reproduced dozens and dozens of times on different websites around the world in different high-profile magazines. So the coverage that the photographer gets is absolutely wonderful. So it could be a stepping stone onto something else in the future. Absolutely. And what's so lovely, because it's anonymous, it really is open to everybody. And as I said, the winner in um, year two was um, Alexandrina from Romania, and she was an amateur photographer. And she took the most beautiful photograph. It was of her grandfather eating an apple. And it was just this lovely, tender photograph by this young woman of this elderly man. And he was wearing a very typical Astrakhan hat, as Romanian elderly gentlemen do. And apparently he used to be a tailor, and he'd made his own coat, which was a quilted velvet coat. And he's munching into this apple, and the apple is dribbling the juice down his velvet coat. And it's such a beautiful shot. And... She came to London for the awards reception. She had no idea that she'd won. And she was crying with tears of joy. And I have to say, it was a very, very special moment when she won.
And that's the sort of photograph that happened very naturally. It wasn't staged. It no, wasn't like exactly. sit down there, eat this apple and, and dribble a bit while you're eating it. Exactly. I mean, it's just so real. It's wonderful. And, you know, I, I, every year I am overwhelmed by the quality of the images. And I find it really moving to look at the world through the eyes of other people. And you see shocking things, you see surprising things, you see tender things. It's really wonderful. The exhibition is amazing. So even if people who enter don't actually win, you know, often they come to the Mal Galleries in London to see the exhibition and to see what the competition was that they were up against. And it is a fantastic display. In this day and age where people have iPhones or Android phones where they're taking photographs morning, noon and night, it could be very much a, a case that you have that photograph already. I mean, there's still time to enter. We don't close till midnight this coming Sunday. In fact, as you say about phones, we do have a special category for pictures taken on mobile phones in aid of a wonderful charity called Action Against Hunger. And they are working to end child hunger, which is a very noble aim. But specifically, they are working in Syria at the moment to feed children there. And there are very few charities who dare to operate in Syria currently. So we're really working hard to raise as much money as we possibly can. So anybody who's got a mobile phone, take a picture of your supper and send it in to Pink Lady Food Photographer of the Year because you will be helping an absolutely fantastic charity. There's um, an administration cost of £3 per per picture and £2 on top of that goes to Action Against Hunger. Okay. And then for other categories to enter, how much is that? It's £5 a picture, but for children that is uh, under 18, it's free. Okay. So tell us about the exhibition. When does it take place and how many photographs will be on display? There'll be over 110 images in the gallery and then also our film category which is unearthed food and film and it's at the mall galleries just after trafalgar square in london free to enter two stunning galleries a great big beautiful space and that is open from thursday the 7th of may through to i think it's sunday the 10th so if anybody's visiting london around that time they should they should check it out Absolutely, and I will be there for the whole time the exhibition is open, so come and say hello to me. Okay, great. So the deadline, as you said, is midnight this Sunday, and if people want to enter, they need to go online? They do indeed. If they just go on to Pink Lady, Food Photographer of the Year, and have a look at the categories, and just have some fun. Everybody eats, everybody has a phone. Take some pictures with your phone if you're not a natural photographer with a camera, and see what happens. You could win £5,000. Great advice and well worth a stab at it. Caroline, thanks so much for talking to me this evening. Oh, my pleasure, Sharon. Thank you so much. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. That was Caroline Kenyon talking about the Pink Lady Food Photography Competition and best of luck to everyone who decides to enter. That sadly is all we have time for this evening on Best Possible Taste. Thanks so much for your company and to all of tonight's guests. Rachel Keeley, Anna Nolan, Anne Maher, Brendan O'Brien, Simon Lamont and Caroline Kenyon. Remember the podcast at soundcloud.com forward slash food and drink show. If you missed any of it tonight or maybe an older one or if you just want to tell a pal. Next week, Sinead Neeland of the Organic College is due back. So if you've any questions for her, please get in touch. Details coming up. And I also should have some romantic dish inspiration for you to swoo the loved ones in your life just in time for Valentine's Day. So until then, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit.